0: Whose idea was it to send David out against Goliath? Whosever idea it was, it seemed like a terrible one, didn't it? Here's this little boy. He's but a youth in the eyes of Goliath. Oh, he's handsome. But what does handsomeness have to do with fighting? He has ruddy skin. That means he's kind of reddish. But that just means he'll blend in with his own blood when Goliath gets done with him, right? It seemed like a terrible idea to everyone. David's brother tried to tell him, David, why don't you go home? We heard about David's brothers last week, his older brothers, remember? The oldest one was a man named Eliab. And Eliab saw David there on that day at the battlefield, and he thought he could read David's mind. He thought David was presumptuous. That is, he wanted glory for himself. He thought that David, you know, was like a little kid who had heard too many stories about war, and now he wanted to see it. For himself. He thought it would be cool. And Eliab said to David, Why don't you just go home? This is not fun stuff. This is not the stuff for little boys. See that guy over there? He's going to kill you if you go out there. Eliab was right. David was looking for a fight. He was wrong about David being presumptuous or about David wanting the glory for himself. But Eliab was right. David was itching to not just see a fight. He wanted to be part of it. We don't know this story too well, do we? Maybe you remember the story of David and Goliath. We, we at least know the part where the stone comes into his forehead, right? We know the climax of the story. But let me remind you a little bit about the setup, the build-up to that point. For 40 long days, Goliath would come out, and there would be a little bit of a liturgy every morning and every evening. Goliath would come out, and he would shout to the armies of Israel, Who wants to fight? And it was a bad liturgy, because the people, you know, when the call goes out, there's supposed to be a response. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Thus says the Lord, Amen. But when Goliath called out, Who wants to fight? Everybody in Israel said, Nobody wanted to fight Goliath. For 40 days, they repeated that over and over again. And for 40 days, that giant of a man, Goliath, would come forward covered in scales of armor like an enormous snake. And he would taunt God's people until David came along. Finally, a champion arose that day in Israel to battle the giant Philistine, and you can say Philistine, by the way, like I did. It's potato, potato, okay? The Philistine, the Philistine, whose armor alone weighed, get this, 125 pounds. Now, I've carried 125 pounds, but I don't carry it too far. (laughs) Goliath wore 125 pounds like a feather. His head was helmeted in bronze, his javelin was back between his shoulders, and the shaft of his spear, scripture says, was like a weaver's beam, which you all know what that means, don't you? It means it was big. <laughs> it was big. He had a great big spear. It was so big that the spearhead, scripture tells us how much it weighs. It weighed 15 pounds. Now, some of you are thinking, I can read your mind, that's not that big, pastor. I can pick up 15 pounds. True. You can pick up 15 pounds, but imagine having 15 pounds on the edge of a spear, a great long piece of wood. The physics, the physics wouldn't quite work out. You'd be holding it like you'd be useless in battle. But Goliath, he picked that thing up like a toothpick. It all looked like a terrible idea to send David out against such a formidable foe. But there's David, itching for the fight. David arose that day, the youngest of his father's eight sons, the least of them all. He was that shepherd boy, right? We heard about him last week. No one even bothered to invite him to the feast because what good is he? Oh, sure, he's handsome and he's ruddy, and scripture said he had beautiful eyes, but those things don't win fights. And yet, poor Goliath stood no chance, did he? Poor Goliath stood no chance against this tiny little champion of Israel because David David didn't come clothed in spear and sword, but David came clothed with the Lord. David came as the Lord's anointed one, which is another way of saying he was the Lord's Christ. Little c, Christ, right? He's not the capital C, Christ, but he is a prefigurement of Jesus. What did we hear last week in the text? When Samuel poured oil on the head of David, anointing him, then it was that the Spirit of the Lord rushed on David from that day forward. What we see this week is that when the Spirit of the Lord rushes on you, apparently you develop an urge to fight. That's what happened to David. And in the Gospel reading, that's what Jesus is doing. Now, it's easier to see with David than it is with Jesus, but let me remind you, Jesus goes out into the wilderness looking for the fight. He's fresh off of his baptism when the spirit of God descended on him like a dove, when God shouted out from heaven, this is my beloved son, which by the way, David means beloved. So when God says my beloved son, he's saying this is my Davidic son. Well, that same spirit that led David out to fight Goliath takes Jesus out on purpose to confront the devil. He didn't get lost in the wilderness. He didn't take a right when he should have taken a left. He went out there to be tempted and to overcome those temptations. See, the Spirit makes you want to fight. It makes you want to fight, though, a particular enemy, not just anyone everywhere all the time, but the Spirit makes you want to fight God's enemies. I tell you again today what I told you last year. Lent is for fighters. And do you not know, we might paraphrase scripture, that all of you who have been baptized into Christ have been drafted into his army. Y'all are his host, his army. When we say that he is the Lord God of Sabaoth, that's the Hebrew word for armies. And you are part of his army. But we'll come to you and to your part in the fight in good time. First, I want to spend a little more time with little David. Eliab, his brother, thought it was all a huge mistake. And I would wager that Eliab wasn't the only one who saw what was about to happen and thought, this is going to be a bloodbath. This is going to be terrible. This is going to be awful. This is going to be carnage. David's a dead man, they all thought. But how is it that David got it into his mind that he should go and fight Goliath? That's the question I want you to think about this morning. What happened in David's own soul that he thought that he thought that he could actually take on Goliath? I think it's because he sang. Let me repeat that because I'm not sure that what I said is so ob- obvious to us. This is what happens when you sing the Lord's songs. See, David went out into battle because he had been trained for it. Between last week's story of him being anointed as the king and this week's story of him fighting the people's battle, there is this strange interlude where we hear about David and King Saul. David came into King Saul's service and it says that he was his armor bearer, which you would expect to mean that you carry the king's armor. But if you read the story at the end of 1 Samuel 16, you'd find find that David's job was to play a harp, or as Scripture puts it, a lyre. See, what would happen is that Saul would have an evil spirit. He had departed from the Lord, and so the Lord had departed from him. And when that happens, you open yourself up to all kinds of terrible things. And so these evil spirits would come on Saul, and he would have David play the harp to chase away the spirits the spirit-rushed, anointed Christ, little David, found in that time his training for when he would fight Goliath. God put him right where all future fighters belonged, in the armor-bearing service of Saul, to play, of all things, a harp. What has harp playing and lyre playing and music-making to do with fighting? Those two things don't go together in our minds, especially a harp. When I think of a harp, I think of like, um, you know, like an orchestra, and there's the harp music starts being played, and everybody relaxes. It's all very peaceful, isn't it? A harp is quiet and calming. So how could that train David to fight? Well, it all depends on what you sing, doesn't it? What would King David have played back then? There was no music library for him to pull from. He couldn't consult the works of Beethoven and Handel and Bach and all those guys whose names we kind of know, but I couldn't tell you what the difference was between them. There was no great classical era composers for David to consult. The lyre that he had was probably not even all that capable of producing a very wide range of sounds. So what would he have played for Saul? Well, it turns out that there were a few chart-toppers in old Israel, even though there was no radio. And the lyrics to the songs of Israel are recorded for you in the pages of Holy Scripture, even as they were for David. Now, David, of course, would add to those with his psalms. But at this point in his life, he had to play the old songs. If you look through the pages of Scripture, you find... You find that there were in fact songs that were there at David's disposal that he could sing for saints for Saul. There were songs like the song of the sea. You all remember the song of the sea, don't you? It's the one with that catchy refrain, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. That was the song that they sang when they came out of Egypt. But there were other songs too, if Saul got tired of that one, David could turn a few pages in scripture to the book of Deuteronomy. At the end of Deuteronomy, there is the song of Moses, and it has this incredible final verse that all the kids in Israel used to love to sing. Rejoice with him, O you heavens, bow down to him, all you gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. Good one, isn't it? He repays those who hate him and cleanses the people's land you start to see how those songs prepared David to fight? Last but not least, the third song that was available for David to sing is called the Song of Deborah. Deborah is one of those in the book of Judges who saved the people of Israel. And at the end of a battle, she has written down for us a song of victory over a Canaanite commander named Sisera. This was a song that all the girls in Israel liked to sing because Sisera, you may remember the story, was not defeated by the hand of some great warrior, but he was put down at the hand of a woman named Jael. Remember how it was? He was running away from the battle, and she said, Oh, come into my tent. Here, drink some nice warm milk. Yes, lay your head right down here. Go to sleep, king. And then she took a tent peg through the temple. And the song... It's a good story. The song that Deborah sang goes like this. This is everyone's favorite verse. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. They could have made a TikTok out of this. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. Now just suppose you sing those songs. Suppose that's the kind of thing that you're humming as you whistle while you work. Don't you think that if you had a song like that in your soul, in your heart, then you might just get the idea, hey, we should fight against that Goliath guy. Hey, you know that guy over there who's blaspheming the Lord? I think we could take him. Sisera, he fell under jail. And remember how God saved us at the Red Sea? And what was that thing we used to sing in the Song of Mo? Maybe maybe it's all true. What does singing have to do with fighting? Well, it all depends on what you sing. The songs that we sing are not simply amusement, they are just the opposite of amusement. The songs that we sing here are here for your musement. These great songs were David's spirit-inspired muse, and by singing them, you, just like David, are made ready for your own battle. Not against Egyptians at the sea, not against Sisera, not against some giant Philistine named Goliath, but in whatever place God has called you, you have a battle to fight. And you have a song, you have a muse. The Holy Spirit has put these words for you to sing so that they would be in your heart. Now we like those amusing songs, and I'm happy to admit there's a time and a place for such songs. I keep hearing people talk about this woman named Taylor Swift. Maybe you saw her on TV last week. I remember Taylor Swift singing Shake It Off. That's how old I am, okay? There's a time and a place for those songs but you must learn even better than the chart toppers the song that the spirit sings he is your muse and the theme of all of his songs is about the greater David Christ Jesus your Lord you see the hymnal there in front of you do you know what that book is it is the training book for God's army do you know the songs that we sing week after week in the liturgy? The songs that Christians have been singing for nearly two millennia now. Do you know what those songs are? They are training you for battle. All of those Kyries, all of those Sanctuses, all of those Agnus days, those are the songs that prepare your hands for war. And how about the psalms? Do you know those psalms that the Spirit wrote through David's hand? They are the songs against which Goliath sinks down. They are the songs that make Satan plug his ears and tuck his tail and run from you. So learn them, memorize them, and by all means, sing them. Now, some of you will say, but pastor, I'm not a good singer. That's okay, because guess what? In the Lutheran Church, we believe that we don't earn our salvation. Do you realize that? We are saved by faith, and we sing then in faith. So if you think, well, I shouldn't sing because I'm not a good singer, don't worry. Take it on faith that it sounds good to God and just belt it out. And you know what you'll find? You'll find that after a little while, you actually start to, hey, a mighty fort. I think I know that one. I can sing that one, even with a little bit of volume. And As you do it, as you do it, we are not just filling the time. When we sing the words of scripture, when we sing God's truths down into our souls, we are addressing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs so that that word of Christ may dwell richly among us. We don't want God's word to be like a little bit of salt that we sprinkle a little bit here, a little bit there. We want it to be the water that we, br- that we drink. We want it to be the air that we breathe That's why we sing all of these songs. Do you realize that that is what is happening when you sing? Did you know that you are preparing yourself to fight and and that you are preparing your brothers and sisters all around you for their battle too? Did you know that not only were you preparing, not only are you training for the fight, but in many cases, the battle is actually being waged right here. Singing in worship is training, but it is not only training. Sometimes that worship is part of the warfare. Those hymns that drive home the gospel of Jesus Christ, even deeper than David's stone sunk into Goliath's forehead, those hymns work that good news of Christ's death and resurrection deep down into your soul, so that when you are here in this place and the devil's accusations arise and you feel the guilt of your own sins and you know of your own mortality, then you have the words of scripture there for you. I sang that hymn, A Mighty Fortress, at my grandfather's funeral. It was the first hymn we sang when we carried in the casket, and I was one of the, what do you call those guys, the, um, the pallbearers. I could barely sing. You know, I was choked up so much with tears. It wasn't because I was sad. It's because those words, those words were the word of victory in the middle of that warfare. In the middle of the fear of death, it was those words that brought home the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take they our life, goods, fame, child and wife. Though these all be gone, the victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. I could tell you story after story. Last week, I was up here giving everyone communion, right? And I'm just caught up, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, the bo- but then I hear these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now i am found, was blind, but now I see. Do you think that that doesn't affect the people who are up here at the rail when they hear that behind them and they receive Christ in front of them? All of this, all of this is part of our warfare. David was ready for that battle because he sang. And out there for 40 days in the wild, Jesus surely had psalms on his lips. Armed with God's word and the Spirit's songs, he was ready for whatever whatever the devil brought to him. You heard, didn't you, how Jesus took down Satan? It was simple. It is written. Who needs slings and arrows when you know that glad refrain, It is written. Isn't it great that Jesus doesn't launch into some kind of really difficult to follow, convoluted interpretation of God's word that makes you scratch your head and say, well, maybe if I knew Hebrew, this would make sense. No, he just says, um, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. I won't bow down to you, Satan. You should worship the Lord your God. There's a time and a place for difficult theories. There's a time and a place for learning Hebrew and Greek and being able to understand how all these things connect. But there's also a time and a place to just know your catechism, to be able to say, thus it is written. It is written. It is written. When you have that word of God in song, in scripture, in memory, when you have that word in your heart, then you are ready, just like David was and just like Christ was. David's lowly weapon of a a slingshot was more than enough to gain him the victory. We should say it really wasn't a fair fight for poor Goliath. But what's so wonderful about David and about Jesus is that they weren't satisfied with just a little bit of victory. Did you notice? The stone in the head, he's dead. The victory's won, right? But David says, not good enough. Give me his sword and give me his head. Jesus does the same thing in his own way, doesn't he? Out there in the wilderness, he overcomes all the temptations of the devil, but that wasn't good enough for the Lord Jesus. No, he chased the devil all the way to Mount Calvary, and there, there the spear sank into his own flesh. There the, the spear was pierced into his own side, and by his dying, by his dying, our Lord has destroyed the power of death, and by his rising again, he has restored to us the hope of everlasting life. So sing his songs, sing the song that his spirit has written for you to sing so that you would be prepared for your battle. You will face your own battles, you know that, don't you? Some of them will probably even be what you would call big battles, but most of them, most of them will be the more ordinary sort, the kinds of things that you face on Tuesday morning and on Thursday afternoon and on Friday evening. That's how it is when you fight in the army. Not everyone is called to run out and take down the champion. Jesus has taken care of that. But everyone is called, wherever they are, to fight the good fight. In the host of God, we are not all on the front lines where the fighting is fiercest, but we are all called. We are all called to fight the fight of faith wherever we may be. And in order that you would be able to do that, you must Sing. Sing with David. Sing with Christ. Sing with the Spirit. And you too will come to that place where the song of battle will give way to the song of victory. In fact, in a few minutes now, we will have a foretaste of all of that. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.